Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Ice the Kicker. It's a special wild card slash divisional round edition of Ice the Kicker alongside Matt Farrar. I am Glenn Zanigris. Before we get into divisional games and Deshaun Watson rumors and national championship outlooks for the draft and Doug Peterson getting fired, we had a wild weekend of wild card football. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Matt. We really liked the three game per day game slate that we had because of the expanded playoffs and we really think that this is something that's going to stay because it was almost like we woke up whenever we woke up and then one o'clock hit and then for the rest of the day until like 11 30 there was playoff football to watch so it was a really really entertaining day of football all the games for the most part were entertaining even the ones that were kind of a blowout they all, they all had some special moments and some weird coaching decisions that, that last weekend really had it all in the nfl yeah, I thought, again, the seven teams getting in, I think, is awesome, especially when you saw with the AFC having a couple teams that didn't make it that ended up being either 10-6 and six or 9-7. and seven. I think it just allows for uh, great teams. I mean, again, you look at how the Browns, who were one of the later seeds, they got in and they beat the Steelers. So it, it's just awesome to see that you're still having high-level uh, competitive teams, even though you expanded the playoff. And I guess that is technically the fear, similar to what you see in the NBA, how what like a one seed has never lost to an eight seed. So you're, you're not really having that issue here. And I think it's awesome. And again, anytime you get to see uh, more games on TV in the playoffs is fine by me. The Browns obviously were a upset over the Steelers. We'll get into that because there's a lot to talk about in terms of what went wrong with the Steelers and if this is the end of their era. Also, the Rams without, mm-hmm. you know, they had Goff. They had Warford in the game. He got hurt, had Goff, and then Seattle just looked terrible. Maybe this is spelling the end of the Pete Carroll era in Seattle. But we're going to start with the first game of the week, and that was the Indianapolis Colts against the Buffalo Bills. 27-24 to 24 in favor of Buffalo. And, Matt, we talked about this before over the last couple of days. This is a game that really Indianapolis shot themselves in the foot. There were peculiar coaching decisions, especially whether to take points or not take points, go for two, take the field goal on fourth down. They decided not to, didn't get the touchdown. Buffalo then predominantly marches down the field and scores a touchdown at the end of the half. Indianapolis left a lot of points on this board on the board and it really cost them the game. And Buffalo was a team that we saw coming into the end of the regular season and into this wildcard game as a team that seemed unstoppable, dismantling your dolphins and then the Patriots on Monday night football the week before. Does this game meet is does this game show more of a crack in the armor for the Bills or missed opportunities for Indianapolis? What did you take most out of this particular game? Uh, I definitely saw that the the Bills, at least defensively, were were not as as great as I thought they were. Again, the Indianapolis Colts passed the ball for 309 yards, and they had 163 rushing yards, and that's a trend that I saw. I don't know about you, throughout the, pretty much the whole uh, six games that we saw, that there was a lot more rushing attack than I kind of anticipated, and I know. Everybody loves to see the high-flying passing offenses, but it really seemed that Indy controlled the ball and they moved the ball really, really well outside of that uh, uh, outside of that that last drive where they kind of just ran out of time. But I, I really thought that Indy was going to win this game because they just kind of were getting first downs at will. Then they were just doing some play actions. I thought Philip Rivers did a great job commanding the line and understanding what the defense was doing and just kind of taking whatever the defense gave them. I mean, you saw a lot of times he just hit the check down, Jonathan Taylor or whoever it was, and then he's getting a first down. So 
I think the Bills offensively still did what they needed to do. I mean, the Colts are a very good defense, but uh, defensively for the, for the Bills, I think they got ran on and, and kind of controlled a little bit more than they would have anticipated. And it's going to be a big step for the Bills defense because they're going from an older Phil Rivers, and we're going to talk about him in, in just a second in terms of his future in Indianapolis and the future of the quarterback position at Indianapolis. But they go from Phil Rivers to Lamar Jackson in the divisional rounds. Now, Lamar Jackson wasn't you know on fire in his game against the Titans, but he did win the game. And he did have some electric runs and have electric moments and kind of put to bed those rumors that he wasn't a big game quarterback. So defensively for the Bills, as you said, they're going to have to step up against a, you know, a, a step up in competition against Baltimore, a team that's very hungry, a team that's been talked about a lot during this NFL season if they're you know not as good as the year before when they were the ones they were the one seed in the AFC kind of snuck into the playoffs towards the end got a little late surge to boost themselves into the playoffs so they're going to see a team that's really hungry to reach the Kansas City Chiefs or Buffalo or Cleveland Browns, whoever they face in the championship game, this is going to be a tough game for Buffalo. This is not going to be a cakewalk for Buffalo. And if we learned anything from the Indianapolis game is that maybe the Bills aren't this juggernaut football team that's just going to plow their way through to the AFC championship game like we once thought maybe seven days ago. Yeah, I think just kind of looking at that matchup and then just really trying to see what is going to be the Bills kryptonite? Like I just kind of referenced before, that rushing defense needs to step up. And now you're not just facing a great O-line in Indy and a great uh, back in Jonathan Taylor. You're facing Lamar Jackson, who's probably one of the most dynamic rushers that we've seen in the history of the NFL, and the fact that he's at the quarterback position. And also, we can't sleep on J.K. Dobbins either. So that little two-headed monster they have there, I think is going to pose a real challenge for the Bills to stop. And they're going to have to figure something out. And obviously, just kind of a little X's and O's, you're going to probably have to stack the box a little bit, throw a spy on Lamar. So then I think you're really going to see an opportunity for Lamar to air it out deep. And if his receivers can get open, he's going to have to do it with his arm if they decide to stack the box and kind of try to keep him in the pocket. Let's put a bow on what Indianapolis did this season. Uh, last year, they had Jacoby Brissett mm -hmm. as quarterback for the majority of the season. Didn't do much. They were more of a mediocre football team at best. Um, bring in Phillip Rivers from the longtime San Diego slash LA Charger, and they go 11 and 5, make the playoffs as a wild card team. And in the wild card game, Phillip Rivers goes 27 for 46, 309, two touchdowns, no interceptions. We talked about this before. Phillip Rivers, I think we both believe that this is a guy, unless Indianapolis can find that franchise quarterback that's going to be the quarterback of the Colts for the next 10 years, you know, their next Peyton Manning or their next Andrew Luck, I think it would be worth running it back with Phil Rivers for another season because he's obviously a guy who has still has some football left in the tank. Um, he's not going to lose you football games. He's a veteran quarterback that's going to that's going to put you in position to win every single week, week in and week out. And even if you do draft or bring in a younger quarterback that you think is going to be your guy moving forward, it's not the worst thing in the world to have him learn under a guy like Philip Rivers, who's been into the been in the league now, what, 16 years? So I don't think this spells the end for Philip Rivers' career. Um, it's unfortunate that it had to end like this because this loss isn't on him. It's really not even on his defense. If this loss is on anything, it's on the coaching decisions that they made 
at the end of the sec at the end of the first half and then not going for just the normal extra point to make a 24 17 in the third quarter they left a lot of points on the board as i said in my little intro and that's more on coaching and play call and analytics than anything else so thoughts on that and thoughts on the future of philip rivers yeah just I just I, I still just struggle to understand the whole analytical side of football. And I know we talked about it off screen about how the the Browns kind of brought in uh, Peter Brand from uh, from Moneyball that we saw to try to implement that sabermetric analytical side from baseball to football. But to me, it just I don't, I don't know if it's there yet. I, I just think with certain situations and we see the Eagles do it a lot where they they love to go for two and then certain situations on, on fourth and whatever, all right, maybe they punted instead of going for it and stuff like that. I just – I don't really see it kind of panning out like we saw with the Colts here. Not taking that field goal, it just it, – it didn't it didn't make sense to me. And then there was another time where they, they missed the extra point. So, I mean, they uh, they didn't go for, for the extra point. They decided to go for two, and then you didn't get it. So, obviously, on the surface, seven points is better than three, and then two is better than one for those conversions. But you have to break it down, especially so early in a game, and then – you look back at the end now, you lost by three. It's like they left so many points on the board. And now segue into Phillip Rivers. Again, I think you have to run it back. I mean, I think he did a great job, not just a good job. I think he did a great job commanding that offense and just doing what his offense needed him to do. I mean, that veteran presence and that veteran mind is so is so important to their success, just being able to audible and then – see see what the defense is bringing and then choose the right play. I mean, you saw with Peyton Manning with the Broncos that physically he was very limited, but he still got the job done with his mind. And I think that you're you're seeing that NFL and specifically fans, they want this high flying running around like crazy running sub four six forties as their quarterback. But you look at the NFC, you have Breeze, Brady, Goff, who's not really a mobile quarterback, and then uh, Rogers, like Rogers is, he, he's athletic and he can move around if he needs to, but these are older guys that mainly stay in the pocket and just kind of throw that ball around. So you don't need this, like have to extend plays, have to do this, have to do that. Preferably. I, I feel like I'd rather my quarterback just get the job done with the three seconds. His line gives them obviously being able to extend plays. is nice, but it's not necessary. So I think that's why we're, we're probably going to see, and I hope we see that the Colts re-sign uh, Philip Rivers this offseason. They run it back again. The Colts won't have a pick until the 20s because they're one of those playoff picks after, I guess, mm-hmm. 18, 19, whatever, whatever it is. But they're not going to have a chance to get a Lawrence or a Fields or a Trask or whoever's going to be out there early in the first round. So unless they swing a trade for a Matt Stafford, or at least, or unless they have some sort of veteran free agent come in, I think Philip Rivers is going to be the guy. And why would you sign a veteran free agent if you already have one on your roster? So I definitely think there's a possibility we see Phil Rivers again. And, you know, personally for me, because, you know, Eli was mm-hmm. the 04 draft class and so is Phil Rivers. Actually, Phil Rivers was drafted by the Giants and they got traded for Eli Manning. That's how that story goes. I would like to see Phil Rivers. He's the only one of Eli, Big Ben, and, and you know, obviously Phil Rivers that doesn't have that Super Bowl or an appearance. So I think it'd be cool if mm-hmm. he would if he would get there over the mountain eventually sometime in the future because he's running out of opportunities. He's like 38, 39, 40 years old now. Moving on, yeah. let's go to the Seattle and Los Angeles game. This is a terrible loss for Seattle. There's no way to sugarcoat it. This is 
you know, borderline embarrassing being at home. Los Angeles is starting Warford, who's a backup quarterback, albeit he played very well in week 17 in his NFL debut. So this is his second start ever in the NFL, a playoff game in Seattle. He gets hurt, he goes down, and then they have to bring in Goff, who's playing on nine fingers. So all momentum should be on Seattle, a team with postseason pedigree, a team that you and me, if you go back into the archives of this podcast, go back to week one, we thought it would be Chiefs Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Um, Seattle was up and down all year, even though their 12 and four record might be a little misleading. They did lose to the Giants and Colt McCoy. So this is not out of the realm of possibility for them. But in the playoffs with Pete Carroll, a Super Bowl head coach with Russell Wilson, a Super Bowl quarterback, um, obviously the Legion of Boom isn't there anymore. That's long gone, but still a competitive defense. I don't I don't have an excuse for this team. I, I really don't. I, I don't think Russell Wilson's the problem. Um, I think Russell Wilson's a top five quarterback if you really had to if you put a gun to my head i think russell wilson's in that top five still is it p carroll is it mm-hmm. you know the roster is it their roster building ever since legion of boom left i mean i know it's been a while it's been what seven years since the super bowl at this point but this is still a team that shouldn't be losing to the this rams team with their quarterback situation currently that they did and i just think that's a humiliating loss for seattle and i think that there might be some significant changes coming coming in. I don't know if they're going to get rid of Carroll. I don't. I, it might be we might be getting closer to the time. I think his tenure in Seattle is closer to the end than it is to the beginning. But you know that's just that's just an ugly game for Seattle. Russell Wilson went eleven for twenty seven, one hundred seventy four yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. That's not really that's not really what you expect from a guy like Russell Wilson in the playoffs. Their leading rusher was Chris Carson, 16 attempts for 77 yards. That's fine. That's 4.8. You'll, you'll live with that. Um, Give credit to give credit to Los Angeles, give credit to their defense and give credit to their quarterbacks for, you know, getting the job done, making the throws that they need to. And especially Cam Akers who went 28 of 131 on the ground. I mean, they Sean McVay really had a winning game plan. And, you know, in, in my opinion, this is embarrassing on Seattle. But sometimes we forget that even though Los Angeles was hampered in this game, Sean McVay is also a Super Bowl caliber head coach. So, you know, th- this was yeah. a shocking game to me. I thought Seattle would handle it easily and I couldn't be more wrong. Mm-hmm. See, going into the season, like we said, we both had Seattle to make it to the Super Bowl. I would have been shocked if you would have told me the Rams would have beat them by 10, 30 to 20 now. But after seeing, like you said, that Seattle 12 and four record is kind of skewed. I mean, the the game to the to the Giants where Colt McCoy beat them and the Giants defense handled uh, Seattle and Russell Wilson pretty handily. That was very eye opening to me. Then they had a couple of games after that where I'm like, is like is this team like really like, like are they going to do anything? And I was kind of really doubting them. So. I don't know if after seeing that they went up against the Rams number one ranked defense, the NFL, that I am too surprised. I mean, Sean McVay is a great coach. He still managed to put up uh, 30 points on the board, which is always nice. But that, yeah, like you said, that Seattle team just as a whole, they're going to have some decisions to make because unfortunately they traded two of their first uh, two first round picks in the next two years to the jets for Jamal Adams. And yes, Jamal Adams did uh, impact the team positively, but again, if you're not winning games, then it's almost like, what's the point? I mean, at, at the end of the day, you need to win. I don't care who you have on your team. You need to win. And the issue that you're going to see now is they're losing precious kind of 
just just uh, potential great players that they're not going to get in the draft. So it kind of just handcuffs them a little bit more. So I, I always get a little bit nervous. Pretty much, I don't know, I don't care who you are by trading that many picks for a, a specific player. So it's going to be interesting to see what Pete Carroll does, what Seattle uh, GM does, and then kind of what they do for Russell Wilson in that offense. Because again, he was hand uh, handled, but there's no weapons you can get for that team. And you have Chris Carson, who's a great running back. You have uh, DJ Moore, you have uh, Tyler Lockett, you have uh, obviously DK Metcalf. It's like, you're not like adding anybody in. They just simply need to play better. So if it, if it comes down to that, is that on the coaching? I'm not too sure. It might be time for a new voice. I mean, as you said, the roster's the roster's fine. I mean, maybe, you know, get another pass. For, I don't know what exactly you do from there. Because if you look at this team's season, they start 5-0. and They have wins to open the season against the Falcons, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, and the Vikings. Have the bye, lose to the Cardinals, and then you beat the San Francisco. Back-to-back losses against the Bills and the Rams. Back-to-back wins against the Cardinals, Eagles, loss to the Giants. You beat the Jets, Washington, and then in week 16, you beat the Rams 20 to 9. And then in week 17, you beat the 49ers 26 to 23 in a game that really didn't mean anything. Um, two weeks ago, you beat the Rams 20 to 9. And then you turn around, and after only giving up nine points, you give up 30. Um, I know there was a pick six, I believe, involved. So maybe that was the, yeah. maybe that was the, maybe that was just the difference that, you know, Los Angeles needed, but not a good 12 and 4. I, it it no. just wasn't. I mean, you lost to the Cardinals who didn't make the playoffs. You lost to the Giants who didn't make the playoffs. You split with the Rams. It's not going to kill you. And then you lose to Buffalo, who's one of the better teams in the AFC. So it's a respectable 12-4. and four, But in those games, they didn't really play well. If you look at what their defense gave up, um, 25, I'm just looking here, 25, 30 to the Cowboys, they gave up 28. To the Dolphins, they gave up 23. To the Vikings, they gave up 26. Those are all in wins. They gave up 34 to the Cardinals. 27 to the Niners in a win. They gave up 44 to Buffalo. They, I don't, I don't think they held the team. They, they, they didn't hold the team until under 20 points until the Eagles in Week 12, and the Eagles are really bad. So, I don't, I don't know where you go. I think you have to go defense. I think you really just got to sure up that defense if you're Seattle moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you there because again. The LA Rams defense beat you and they're the number one ranked defense. So if you're Seattle, there's nowhere you could kind of really improve the offense. I mean, maybe obviously the, the old line can always improve. So you throw a couple uh, assets there and then you throw some on the defense too, but it's like the Seattle kind of has to look at it was, was Jamal Adams worth basically two players? Like, was he going to be better than, than the next two first rounders that you could have gotten? And I think, that's something that teams need to, and just even fans, especially when you see like tr- trade deals and stuff like that. And you think hypothetical trades, like, Oh, we'll trade this player. And then two first rounders. And then anytime you just see two first rounders, you're like, yeah, that's fine. But when you put a name to the note, to the number, or you put a, an actual player to the draft pick, that kind of changes everything a little bit. And obviously I'm re- referring to the two of Watson debate that we'll get into a little bit later, but to me, when you break it down like that, you're like, maybe I'd rather have three players, two of them that who could potentially be good. I mean, you're assuming they're going to be at least highly skilled if they're in the first round versus just one guy. So that's kind of how I, I've been looking at it. And I wonder if they regret the uh, Jamal Adams deal. So, yeah, I, the Jamal, Jamal Adams deal is going to hurt because they lose those draft picks. And Jamal Adams, 
you know, funny how he just couldn't wait to get out of New York and he just plays one extra game. I think that was that was really funny. So I'm sure Jets fan, I'm sure if we asked Garrett how he felt about Jamal oh, Adams yeah. only playing one game and getting eliminated by the Rams, I think he'd be mm-hmm. he'd be thrilled to say the least. But, you know, Seattle's going home and Los Angeles is moving on. So Los Angeles will be moving on to the number one seed Green Bay Packers. The MVP of the league, Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers against that number one ranked defense. Now, this is just a classic scenario of NFL playoff football. Who's going to win? The superstar quarterback or the best defense in the NFL? I'm excited for this matchup. I think that the Packers are going to win this game, but I think it'll be really interesting how long this Los Angeles defense can keep it close for until whoever starts at quarterback for Los Angeles needs to make a few plays. Um if you if I had to if I had the guess, I would trust Aaron Rodgers more than I would trust the Rams defense. And that's not a knock on the Rams defense because they're just mm-hmm. they're they're a really good defense, number one defense in the NFL. But just Aaron Rodgers seems to be on this mission this season to prove everybody wrong. Because remember, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round last April, kind of as his heir apparent, and they didn't get him any weapons after they lost in the a- NFC championship game the year before to the 49ers. And you know, everybody's screaming to get Aaron Rodgers more help. And Aaron Rodgers is like, I don't need any help. I'll just do this all on my own. And that seems what he that seems like what he's doing this year. So a tough, tough task for the Los Angeles Rams going to Lambeau in January. So you know it's gonna be sub zero weather. Oh, um yeah. I think I think Green Bay should handle I don't know. Do you have the line? I don't have the line with me. Right now we are looking at Green Bay minus six and a half. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um yeah. I think I think Green Bay will I think Green Bay will take care of business and move on to the NFC Championship game on Sunday or Saturday whenever it is. Yeah, I think like you said Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are on a mission and then you you just look at just his whole season like he just and he talked about it on uh, some interviews and stuff like that like after Jordan Love got drafted obviously he wasn't happy but he, but he said he's like I understand the situation but basically he said I'm going to be so good that you're not going to take me out and I'm going to make it impossible for you for basically you to put this kid in. I mean, if that isn't internal competition, then I don't know what is. And I think he is just, it's a, it's a testament to kind of who he is as a player and just as a competitor. And at the age of what, 34, 35, something like that, he's obviously getting up there. He just said, screw it. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to win my team football games. And it's just awesome to see. And I think he's easily slated to make a nice run to, to the Super Bowl and hopefully win one. Yeah, if you look at the NFC competition of who's left, you got obviously the Rams who they play this week, and then you're going to get the winner of the Bucks and the Saints. Um, I don't know what team gives him his biggest competition in the NFC. If I had to guess, maybe the Saints. I'm not sure. We'll get we'll get to the Bucks and Saints in a second, but just really quickly. Mm-hmm. It might be a little bit of a, I don't want to say cakewalk because all these NFL teams are in their position in the playoffs because they earned it, but, and anything can happen on any given Sunday. That's the whole, that's the whole point of the NFL, but who's really challenging the Packers in the NFC in the rest of this playoff field? Yeah, I think the Saints, just because they have a better defense than the Bucks, And obviously we've seen the Saints defense smother Tampa Bay a couple times in the regular season. So that's only what I, what I would say them like, if he has to go and try to outduel Tom Brady in a shootout, then I think the odds would, would kind of rest with Green Bay in that situation. 
let's move on really quickly to Buccaneers Washington. Give Washington credit. Give Haneke Heineke credit. He dove from the five yard line to the pylon. That was some that was some sick mm-hmm. run that he had. But at the end of the day, talent won out in this game. Buccaneers move on, winning thirty one to twenty three. We'll talk about the Buccaneers more when we get to the Saints, but I just want to ask, do you think Washington with their quarterback, you know, kind of situation, kind of not having Dwayne Haskins there anymore, um, Alex Smith being a nice story, but you know, yeah, health is always an issue with him. They're gonna have, you know, even though they're seven to nine, they're not gonna have that really high draft pick because they did make the playoffs. So they jump ahead of everybody who didn't, including, for example, your Dolphins, who had a better record, but because the Washington made the playoffs, they're gonna have a worse draft pick. So do you yep. think Heineke earned an opportunity in training camp to be the starting quarterback of this football team. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, with what he did, just kind of coming in relief that one one game, and then obviously this playoff game, he showed that hey, like like if you give him maybe you give him a full off season, you give him reps with the starters, maybe he can be I don't know about the guy, but he can be a guy for you. I think Washington's kind of QB development that they're going to have there, in, in, or the QB room potentially, is going to be a very strange dynamic because, like you said, you have an older Alex Smith who clearly is limited in his physical abilities because of his leg, which is fine, whatever, but he's slated to get like upwards of $20 million. And it's like, are you really going to pay that for a backup? Who's who, who knows? You obviously have Kyle Allen, who I just don't think is very good. And then obviously they got rid of Haskins and you have this guy Heineke who's kind of coming in. He's probably making like $20,000, something ridiculously cheap. Mm-hmm. And obviously they, they could still go quarterback if they wanted to. So I think it's going to be, uh, a weird situation for them because it's like, all right, you have all these quarterbacks, but do you still want to draft another one? And if I'm Ron Rivera, I probably still would draft one. Again, you could still have him, that quarterback compete with Heineke and with Smith and Kyle Allen, if you still like him, but I feel like Ron Rivera needs a little bit more of a stable base in that QB room. He went 26 for 44. Heineke did 306 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Um, I'm blanking on exactly what the moments of this game. I should have written it down. Was this another one of those games where Ron Rivera decided to not go for it on fourth down when they had momentum? Was was there a moment in that? No, no, there wasn't. No, they, so pretty, just... they were they were pretty much trailing Tampa Bay all of the the second half, and then they kind of got close, and then Tampa Bay like Tom yeah. Brady threw a bomb. Okay, that I, I was thinking. Close. I was thinking. I was thinking Pittsburgh. I was thinking Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, I thought Haneke was was really good. 26 44, yeah. 306, as I said, touchdown pick. That's as much as you can ask a quarterback that hasn't played much in the NFL. He's kind of been a journeyman. He was on like the Lions, he was on the Texans, he was on the Panthers organization, and then he finally gets his break in Washington. I think Washington has a really interesting offseason coming up because they they made the playoffs, they won the bad division of the NFC East. But, you know, it, no nobody in the NFC East is a finished product by far. So what is Washington going to do to improve their roster? Last year, they went out and they got Chase Young, who's going to probably be defensive rookie of the year. I think they're too far in the draft to go quarterback. So are these, is Washington one of those teams that's going to be in it for Deshaun Watson? What, and what could they give for Deshaun Watson? Can they, can they um, compete with a team like, you know, the Jets, who have a much higher draft pick than Washington does. Um, or, you know, the, or the Dolphins, if the Dolphins decide to go that route. I know we'll get to that um, a little bit later in the show, but there's a lot of quarterbacks out there for Washington to take a look at. 
Um, a lot of quarterbacks, you know, a Fitzpatrick that's going to be a free agent. There's a lot of backup quarterbacks that moved around this year that are looking for another shot at being a starter, like a Winston or a Mariota, or maybe even, you know, Josh Rosen's out there. So there's a lot of quarterbacks they can choose from, and they could also draft someone late in the first round, or maybe they find a gem in the third or fourth round, a la Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson. But I think Haneke is worth keeping on the roster, and I think Heineke is someone who's worth a shot going into training yeah. camp of 2021. Yeah, definitely. You, you said it all right there. Just He at least needs a shot, and like we said before, Washington has a ton of different avenues they could go down. However, I, they, they need to get something more stable in there. And again, if it is Heineke, then roll with it. But right now, they seem to have a revolving door at the quarterback position. Ravens Titans Ravens take this one 20 to 13 this is the one Matt I highlighted as my most interesting game of the weekend because it was the rematch of last year's divisional round where the Ravens were the one seed and they lost at home to the Titans Derrick Henry just ran for a million yards that game and Tennessee upset um, Baltimore went on to the AFC championship game I this is one of those games that again it, it came down to a, you know a questionable coaching decision with Vrabel playing it conservative and not going for it on a fourth down at the fringe of Baltimore territory, they decided to punt and then it didn't work out. And in the end, it was a really tough interception on Tannehill really wasn't his fault. The receiver just slipped and fell down. And then the defender was just right there. Tough loss for Tennessee. I thought these, this game was evenly matched. It's probably the most evenly matched of the six from the weekend. Um, Henry went only 18 for 40. Tannehill played well, 18 for 26, that's 165, a touchdown and a pick. That's probably the peak of what he has, you know, talent-wise as an NFL quarterback. That's all you can ask of him. And then, you know, Lamar Jackson, he finally exercised those demons. He had that great run at the end of the second quarter, 50 yards, um, 50-yard touchdown run. And I think this is really going to be the game where people finally – give Lamar Jackson the break that he rightfully deserves. You know, he's a former MVP. He's lit up the league ever since he's walked into the place. I think that moving forward, I think there's so much pressure lifted off of Lamar Jackson. And I think every big game and every playoff game for the rest of the, for, for the rest of his career, he's just going to feel so much more relaxed and so much more confident and in control of his ability because nobody's really going to be, breathing down his neck over his, you know, past playoff failures in Tennessee the year before or two years ago against San Diego. Yeah. I mean, just something, just side note about him. You could really see just how good of a leader he is just in his press conference. He, he, he speaks very well. And then you could just see that there's a lot of passion there and then just guys follow him. Like he'll be talking to reporters after the game, all his teammates are coming up to him, like shaking his hand, stuff like that. Like you're the best, you're the man, all that stuff. So I think at such a young age, he really took that locker room by storm. And then he, he's the man in charge in Baltimore. Now, just again, 136 yards on the ground is something that that is absurd. He averaged 8.5 yards a rush. So again, as much as people don't want to kind of buy into the mobile quarterbacks, me kind of being one of them, if you got it, then you, you have to roll with it. So that's just a tip of the cap to Harbaugh to kind of incorporate it into the game plan. I mean, when they drafted Jackson, they basically revamped their whole offense to suit him and it worked out and it's paying dividends. So just, just tip of the cap to everybody in that organization to take a chance on a guy that wasn't like who they used to have in a Flacco who would just stand in the pocket. They took a guy like Lamar. They, they said, hey, we're going to take this risk. And in, so far it's paying dividends. And I look forward to see what they do next week.
I just want to quickly like put to bed Tennessee. Um, nothing much to say about Tennessee. I think they're building something really good. Just sometimes you come up short in a playoff game, and I think that was kind of the case. Even if they do go for it and convert on that fourth down late in the game and they tie mm-hmm. the game at at 20, there's no there's no guarantee they still win the game. So I yeah. think that, you know, Vrabel and Tannehill and Henry, I think there's a good foundation there. And before we really get into more of the Ravens and their matchup on the in the Bills, I think that it's worth, you know, mentioning that, you know, Tennessee, again, had another great year, 11 and 5. Vrabel, another one of those coaches on that Belichick coaching tree. Um, we've seen in the past that, Sometimes hasn't always worked out, but I think it's worked out in Tennessee. Um, Tannehill's got breathed a, like a second life after he was kind of casted away in Miami. And obviously, if you have Derrick Henry, you always have a chance to win. So I think Tennessee's going to be going to be fine moving forward. But I think the story here is, you know, Baltimore and more specifically Lamar Jackson, because people love to rag on him about how, you know, two years in a row he was terrible in big games. And even during the regular season, when he'd be on primetime, he was primetime against the Chiefs, he really didn't do much. And I think I said it on the show that, you know, there comes a point where, you know, the voices get louder and the voices get louder because the trend is becoming the truth. And I think it's good that Lamar Jackson dispelled that he's not a big game quarterback kind of vibe that people were giving off. And I think now he goes into a game against the Bills where, I think the Bills are going to have a tough task trying to control him because against Phillip Rivers, they really didn't need to worry about Phillip Rivers, you know, moving out of the pocket, extending a play. And that's something Lamar Jackson does as well as any quarterback in the NFL. So moving forward into that divisional game against the Bills, I think the Ravens can absolutely pull off an upset against Buffalo because if Lamar Jackson is confident now in his ability in the playoffs, I think that you can unleash some sort of monster and he can just be unstoppable. And I think that's a really scary thought if you're a Buffalo Bill or a Buffalo Bill fan. Yeah, it's just if, you, if you're the Bills right now, you just have nightmares about what Lamar does out of the pocket. And just again, even if you do contain him, he still has the arm strength to, to take the top off the defense. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens with them against the Bills. And again, if, if the Ravens come out and then Lamar rushes for 100-plus uh, yards again, I wouldn't be surprised if they're the victors. And I think Baltimore, they always have a good defense. We forget, we really don't talk a lot about Baltimore's defense because, you know, Baltimore's defense has been good for 20 years. So that's kind of what we were used to at this mm-hmm. point. And, you know, Lamar Jackson obviously takes a lot of headlines. But to really isolate the game of Derrick Henry when last year you couldn't, I think that's really, really big. And I think if they're able to do that and just denounce and stop the run against Buffalo and force Josh Allen to throw the ball 40, 50 times, I think even though Josh Allen is a quarterback that can light it up the better than anyone, I think that would be an advantage for Baltimore. I think that's the game Baltimore likes to play. Okay, I'll dare you to beat me over the top. And I think that yeah. that's the way Baltimore is going to run it against Buffalo next week. Yeah, again, just the last thing really on the Ravens. You look at kind of three of their 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 best players or just better players. You look at Marcus Peters, who they acquired uh, via trade from the Rams. You look at Calais Campbell, who they acquired via trade from the Jaguars. You look at Yannick Ngakwe, who they acquired via trade with the Vikings. Those are three, first of all, just great overall players, maybe even some potential Hall of Famers in Calais Campbell. And they got all those guys via trade within the last year or two. So, again, just just – the whole organization is doing it right. They got those like, Khalees Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe to shore up that defensive line for pretty much pennies on the dollar. So 
the fact that the rest of the NFL let that happen is beyond me. But just again, tip of the cap to them for doing what they're doing to bolster that already great defense. All right, next game. We're almost there. We have two more games to cover before we get into uh, the Deshaun Watson and the Doug Peterson situations. Bears Saints. Not much to talk about that this game. Um, we kind of what 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 happened in this game was kind of what we expected all along. The Saints took care of business, twenty-one to nine, against the Bears team. And you, you you know you talk about how you know maybe in the AFC side of things, there's so many good teams in the AFC, so they kind of deserve that extra playoff team, that seven seed. And Indianapolis was an eleven-five team that got that seven seed. And there was also a couple of there was also your you know ten and six Dolphins that didn't make the playoffs. So the AFC is much deserving of that seven seed. But you know the bad thing about expanded playoffs is sometimes you get a team like the Bears who maybe weren't. Mm you know, deserving of a playoff spot come sneaking in at eight and eight. They couldn't even win in week 17 to get the playoffs themselves. They kind of had to back into it via tiebreakers. So they lose the saints 21 to nine. So the saints will move on to play the bucks in the divisional game. But before we get to that, something really important happened in that game. And that game was broadcasted on Nickelodeon. Now, Matt, I don't know what your percentage was, between you know watching it on CBS or watching it on Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. but I watched it on Nickelodeon for a good you know two and a half quarters. I think by the end of the third quarter, I was like, you know what, my head hurts. I need a break. Um, so I went to yeah. Jim Nance and Tony Romo, and I got you know some of that adult fix of NFL football. But mm-hmm. this Nickelodeon game was really fun. It was really funny. I really applaud Nickelodeon for doing that. You know, as a you know baseball guy first i wish baseball would do something more like that since there's like a thousand games per year in major league baseball but this nickelodeon broadcast is fun noah eagle who who's iron eagle's son was play-by-play they had nate burleson on color and they had this you know nickelodeon actress as kind of like the i guess comic relief she really didn't know much about football it's funny because when they punted it and it was in the air she was like oh my god this is like (laughs) the coolest thing ever so it was cool they had slime they had spongebob um, they had young Sheldon, you know, explain what penalties were, which I thought was kind of actually kind of lame because I don't like I don't like, you know, Big Bang Theory or anything involved with yeah. Big Bang Theory. But, you know, good for Nickelodeon, man. I, what did you did you watch the game on Nickelodeon? Yeah, I watched like the first half on Nickelodeon. And I, again, <laughs> if it wasn't for Jim Nance and Tony Romo, I probably would have kept it on. But it just I thought Burleson and he said uh, Eagle did such a great job with the commentary and they would make these like Nickelodeon jokes. And it was just like, Oh my God, the references were fantastic. Yeah. Like, I think Alan Robinson made like three catches in a row. And then Noah Eagles, like he's hotter than a Peruvian puff pepper. I'm like, you wrote that down. There's no way that came out of the top. Yeah. It was, it was, it was just so smart. And like you said, being baseball fans, you wish the MLB did this. And I thought this was a great just opportunity for them just to put football in front of the kids. Obviously, maybe it would have been better off putting a uh, younger quarterback for the kids to kind of get yeah. behind. I don't think there's any kids turning on Nickelodeon saying, hey, I want a Mitch Trubisky jersey anytime soon. But I, I just think overall, the whole idea and concept of it was super smart. They they handled it great. You had the slime cannon end zone. I thought it was such a great thing. And then obviously at the end of the game, Sean Payton's getting slimed in the locker room. So just, just such an awesome thing for them to do. And I, I guarantee you're going to see more Nickelodeon and maybe now Disney steps to the plate and they get some games on their channel. I got I got to say something though. Like the one bad thing you can't give Mitchell Trubisky the MVP of that game. 
I mean, that is just, I don't know yeah, if that was, that's, that's I tough. think that was Big Cat at Barstool kind of being like, hey, everybody, let's vote for Mitch Trubisky is kind of like a joke. Yeah. But at some at some mm-hmm. point, the producer has to step in and kind of like, I guess, you know, if there's any election that's going to be rigged this season, it had to have been that one because Mitch Trubisky did not yeah. deserve the MVP of that league. And it's kind of insulting to him because he knows that he played terrible. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this guy comes out with this, you know, trophy with a Nickelodeon orange blimp on it. And he's like, Hey, the kids voted you MVP of this game. And he knows better. He's a smart guy. He knows that this, these were trolls mm-hmm. on Twitter kind of like just flooding, you know, the voting yeah. box for him as kind of like a joke because he's so terrible. Um, he can't be the MVP of the first or the MVP of the first Nickelodeon game. That's yeah. just, a, I feel like that's a bad look. And we can kind of segue this into more of a serious football conversation. This guy's done, right? This guy's done in Chicago. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no kind of justification for bringing him back as your starting quarterback. If you're the Chicago bears, you tried, um, you picked, you know, him over Watson Mahomes. That's going to live in infamy for the rest of time. As long as we talk about football, we're going to be talking about that. It, it's just time to move on. If you're Chicago, it's a shame that they, you know, got catapulted into like kind of the Redskins situation, that playoff area level of first round picks mm-hmm. in the 20s. So they really can't get that quarterback. But unless they trade up, which is always a possibility. But I don't know. It, it, it just didn't work out with Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, again, anytime you look at just young quarterbacks, you have to look at the situation around them. Then you have to factor in how many years you've kind of seen him. And this is what his third year, fourth year has to, yeah, three. No, if I think it's four, no, four, maybe even before. So you have a four year sample size with him. And then obviously the coaches are seeing him in practice and they even gave the edge to Nick Foles, who's not a very great quarterback by any means. So I think this is the time where it's healthy and it would be fine to part with him. I think, again, you gave him more than enough opportunity. You gave him – you had Allen Robinson as one of your weapons. Montgomery He's going to be a free agent, so he might not even be backs. back. So that's what I mean. So the Bears are going to be in a very weird situation because not only do they need a quarterback, they're going to need a wide receiver one. And, again, it really seems like Allen Robinson wants to leave there. The only way that I think that can make him stay is if they bring in some high high-priced free agent quarterback. Yeah, I, I I don't know I don't know who's gonna be out there for Chicago. The problem with we're gonna to get to Deshaun Watson after we finished all the wild card games and kind of briefly mm-hmm. talk about you know what we're gonna expect over the week. But I, the bear I don't know what the Bears have to offer the Texans for Deshaun Watson. There's so many teams that are gonna be into it that have higher draft picks and more you know and more just resources to get a Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I don't yeah. think the I don't think the Bears are in that stratosphere. So the Bears are going to kind of have to go dumpster diving for the next quarterback. Do they bring in a This is a, this is where a guy like Fitzpatrick is so valuable because you have a team that went did go 8 and 8. So that's not 4 and 12. So a mm-hmm. better quarterback play, do you move that to a 9 and 7, 10 and 6? You probably do. So if you can get someone, you know, a veteran guy, a Stafford, a Fitzpatrick, uh Matt Ryan if Atlanta wants to move on, um, you know, as I, I mentioned, a Mariota and Winston kind of thing. I, I think it's worth it if it's if you're Chicago, but I just I think you have to pull the plug on Trubisky, even if you don't expect to get someone this year that's better than Trubisky. It just shows your fan base that you know we see it too. We see that this guy's not the guy, and we're going to move forward. I think mm-hmm. that's something that the Chicago fan base needs the most. 
Um, New Orleans moves on. They play the Buccaneers. We talked about the Buccaneers in Washington before, so we'll talk about the Buccaneers and Saints game. Um, they a divisional, a legit divisional round matchup because they're in the same division. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I uh, believe the Saints swept. Am I am I yeah. right? So the pretty, Saints pretty handedly. The Saints swept. I know one of the games was Week One, and then like Week Nine or Ten mid season. Um, but you know, we've I, I think we've seen Tampa Bay really start to get everything together over the last few weeks. I think they're a better team now than those two times that they face uh, New Orleans. I'm not saying that they're better than New Orleans now, but I think they will be able to put up a little bit more of a fight. And also you add in that it is the playoffs and Tom Brady is is there in the playoffs. I think he's going to make sure that Tampa Bay is competitive and has a chance to win. I think New Orleans ends up winning, but I think Tampa Bay can put up a fight and, you know, as, as we've seen through the entire entirety of this season, you know, Drew Brees isn't the same quarterback that's going to throw the ball down the field at will all the time. So mm-hmm. would it shock me if Tampa pulled off this upset? No. Do I think it's going to happen? Also, no. But I think this is a really interesting game. Every Anytime you have a playoff game that's two teams in the same division facing for the third time, obviously it's really hard to beat a team three times in the same season. Um, I think this is going to be a good one, and I think it. I think it could go either way. I'm expecting the Saints to come out on top, though. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Bruce Arians and Tom Brady have to figure out a way to not lose to the same team three three times. And I wonder, in in kind of just the recent years of football, how many times that's actually happened. But I, again, I just that's what I mean. Like, like I all roads would point to Brady winning just because law of averages you feel like he has to win eventually against the same team but i don't know that that saints defense has handed them handled them pretty easily the past two times so it's kind of like who's to say it won't happen a third time the only thing that i could kind of see not going the way is if the tampa bay defense steps up similar to what they did against the packers earlier in the regular season if they can come out and they can limit drew Brees and what they're doing then i think that, that that's their best way to win this ball game yeah i think that tom brady's more more likely to be a guy that's going to light it up in this game. And I think that's the difference. Mm -hmm. I think if Tom Brady turns back the clock a little bit and reverts back to, you know, that 2007 Tom Brady and he's hitting Mike Evans, he's hitting Gronkowski, he's hitting all these weapons that Tampa put around him. I think it's really conceivable that Tampa Bay could win this game, especially since as we alluded to, it's hard to beat a team three times in the same season. So that's something that worries me if I'm betting on this game. Um, because you know, you know, Tampa Bay has to win one eventually. I can't imagine Tom Brady losing three times to the same team in one season. I'd be shocked. Mm-hmm. Actually, I wouldn't be shocked because I'm taking the Saints in this game. But it, I, yeah. it's just something that it's just something that you know, in the New England days, would never happen because you know the AFC East is bad. But you know, I, I think the Saints are a better team. I think the Saints are at home but I do think this is going to be close. And I think there's going to be an opportunity for Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. And it's a matter of does he execute or does he not? Yeah. I like everything you said. I agree with hundred percent and I'm really excited for this game. And again, a battle of the very, very elder quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. So one of these, you know, 40 plus year old quarterbacks is going to be in the NFC championship game. And how funny would it be if it was Packers and, you know, whoever, 
wins Buccaneers and Saints and you got these two older guys you know we talk about in this league a lot Mm -hmm. how we're just you know spoiled of all this young talent at quarterback you can go on and on and on about all these great quarterbacks who are under the age of 25 and in the NFC side of things we have a very likely scenario where over 35 quarterbacks are battling out Mm -hmm. to go to the Super Bowl so that's something that's really interesting kind of like the dynamic between young and old in the NFL um, the last wild card game was probably the craziest. That was the Browns beating the Steelers. Yeah. The Browns' first playoff win since Bill Belichick was their coach when they beat New England, who was coached by Bill Parcells. So that really tells you how long it's been for Cleveland. It's their first playoff appearance since 2002. And what a way to start your first playoff game in 18 years, jumping out to a 28 to nothing lead. First play of the game snapped over Big Ben's head into the end zone. They were the Browns recovered for a touchdown. Um, ben threw four interceptions. You blink it, it's 28 nothing. Now, Pittsburgh had a chance to make this interesting. Um, they had a chance to cut it to five with a touchdown. And, you know, Tomlin decides to trust his defense and punt. And then that didn't work out as, you know, it didn't work out for Tennessee and it didn't work out for Indianapolis. But, you know, give the Browns a lot of credit. They came into this game and they had a lot of things against them. They didn't have Stefanski. They didn't have, you know, a lot of their personnel because of these COVID restrictions. And they didn't practice really for two weeks. And they went in and they dropped 48 points on Pittsburgh. And, and now they have the right to play the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round. Um, I don't know what the angle is to take on this game. Is this, you know, a, an accomplishment for Cleveland or is this kind of the funeral for the Big Ben era, Big Ben Mike Tomlin era in Pittsburgh? I'm not, I, it could be a little bit of both, but um, credit to credit is due. Cleveland got the job done and they deserve to go to the second round. Yeah, I mean, just with what Cleveland did with, again, you didn't have your head coach there. And to come out, like you said, 28 nothing right off the bat, it's like just absolutely insane to see. And then Roethlisberger, four interceptions. It's like you did everything possibly. Everything was going according to plan. I know the final score, 40-37, seems like, oh, it was a close game. This was never a close game. Mm-hmm. Right from the jump, you saw the Browns go up 14 nothing, and you're just like, the Steelers are just don't look like themselves. And I definitely think that the Roethlisberger era has ended. We'll get to that in just a brief second. But something that that I really thought of was maybe the Steelers should have played their starters in week 17 to try to basically eliminate the Browns from the playoffs. I mean, that was that was a dynamic that we kind of talked about. And everyone in the national media talked about what do you do in those situations? Do you play to win? Do you play to do you just take your guys out to stay healthy? And I think this is a situation where you needed to play a win because why do you want to let a division opponent into the playoffs? Like it just makes no sense. Clearly they're probably going to play you better than a non-division opponent because they have more film on you. So I think just an absolute dumpster fire and series of unfortunate events for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the past two, three weeks. Yeah. And I think that really they started out 11 and 0 and, you know, even when they were 11 and 0, Matt, we heard rumblings that this team wasn't as good as their record kind of indicated. And we talked about this, you know, if you go back through, you know, the episodes that we've had and we were like, nah, you're still 11-0. You still got to respect them. And then they lose the Washington football team. And then ever since then, it kind of spiraled out of control. They were never really the same team as much as Juju smith Shooter, like the dance on the Rogos and all that kind of stuff. They, they never really had, you know, the swag that, you know, normal Mike Tomlin led Steelers mm-hmm. teams had. 
And it was really apparent at the end of this game when like Big Ben is like sobbing on the sideline because, you know, he has a huge cap hit coming and that might be the end of his career, at least in Pittsburgh. So I think changes are coming to Pittsburgh, especially at the quarterback position. I think this can be a completely different Pittsburgh Steelers team by the time June and July hit for training camp. Yeah, I think, again, with the tears streaming down Roethlisberger's face, obviously not just upset about the loss, but I think he's thinking about his whole career, and he's probably wondering, is this how I want to end my career? And then he's got to be wondering, too, on the other hand, is it is a team, maybe the team, not the Steelers, going to give me an opportunity? And I really don't know if anyone will. I mean, you saw he was kind of limited in, in his abilities. He's not like the big Ben who was kind of mobile and would get out of pockets and extend plays like he used to be. He still got his arm there too, but it just, I don't know if I see enough in him that w- that if I'm a Steelers fan or even in the front office that, that I want to even pay him $20 million, let alone the 41 he's slated to get. I mean, I think you're definitely seeing that they need to go in a new direction at quarterback and just, if I'm big Ben, I know it sucks, but you almost have to kind of call it a career. And again, you yeah. had a great one. You have multiple Super Bowls. So it, it is what it is. I mean, it happens to everybody. It happened to Eli last year, same draft class. It happened to Peyton, all the greats eventually, obviously, except Tom Brady, apparently. Like, to. it, it, all, it all happens. Yeah. I mean, he went 47 to 68, 500 yards passing. A lot of this was catch up. A lot of this was Cleveland kind of mm-hmm. playing back and not, you know, trying to give up the big play, trying to eat clock, four touchdowns, four picks. You know, if you just look at the eye test, Matt, and you look at Phil Rivers' performance against Buffalo and then Big Ben's performances really against, you know, Cleveland and really the entire season. If you really use the entire season of work between those two guys, same draft class, same age, you can, it's obvious that I think, I think it's obvious in my opinion that Phil Rivers has more in the tank than, ben, than Big Ben does. Mm-hmm. I think Big Ben, you know, he's a heavier guy. He doesn't move around as well as Phil Rivers does. I think this is I think this is time to call it a career. If you're a Big Ben, you had, you know, you went to three Super Bowls. You won two. You go into the Hall of Fame. You went to the playoffs almost every single year. I think there's nothing to be ashamed of, even if you go out like this against the Browns. Not your best performance. Like, hey, not everybody ends it like Peyton Manning does, winning a Super Bowl. Sometimes it's over like Brett Favre, yeah. who like threw picks in the NFC Championship game, and you know kind of flamed out with Minnesota the next year. You know sometimes it just happens. But kind of, we were talking yeah. about with the NFC, how you know the old guys are still the ones that are leading that league, right? So you got Breeze, yeah, you got Brady who transplants from the AFC, obviously. And then you got Aaron Rodgers. The AFC is completely different. I mean, Big Bad's kind of on his way out. Uh, Phil Rivers is kind of on his way out. And you got, you know, Mahomes and Jackson and Allen. And, you know, you really got to talk about Baker Mayfield and put him into that plateau of quarterbacks because he was absolutely phenomenal in this game against Pittsburgh. 21 to 34, 263 yards, three touchdown passes. Every time Pittsburgh tried to get back into the game, Baker Mayfield will lead his team down the field and score points and kind of keep Pittsburgh at an arm's length. I think Baker Mayfield gets a lot of crap. And I was one of those kind of critics when he wouldn't play well. I'm like, this guy has all these commercials in the world. He doesn't even play well in games. He's really taken a next step over the second half of this season and into this postseason as being one of the premier quarterbacks, premier young quarterbacks in this league. I think it might be time to not put him in the you know, Allen Mahomes Watson category of young quarterbacks, but right below with, you know, like him 
with I don't know who else you'd put in that kind of I don't know who else, but like he's in that second tier behind you know the Allen and Mahomes and Watson. Yeah, I yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And again, for some reason, Baker is just a guy that people love to hate, and he's kind of taken on almost that villain persona. Like he always has constant jabs at Colin Coward, who's given him more crap about just his antics than anybody. And then the past two weeks, he he came out and put the team on his back, and then he essentially lost the game for them against the Jets when he fumbled it. Granted, they were down about four wide receivers, but I think he kind of took that loss to heart and realized, like, I, I let my team down. And then you're seeing that he, he's a man of his word and he's done everything he possibly could in the last two weeks to to send his team to the playoffs and now get them a playoff win. So you have to give respect to Baker Mayfield. And there's, again, like you said, there's a lot of haters out there on him. Why? I don't necessarily know for sure, but I think those haters are going to be cut in half by the time this uh, playoff run is finished yeah I think I've definitely come around I think that I'm not I'm not gonna be a you know a diehard fan of Baker Mayfield but I think I could respect his talent I can respect that the W's that he's put on the field now because I think the big knock with me initially was that he was getting all these commercials and he was talking about game and then the Browns never won also he did take a shot at the Giants last offseason with Odell and how like we didn't appreciate him and which couldn't be more wrong it was was the more it was the yes the Daniel Jones thing that was that was stupid thing to say and I think if you ask him now I think he would probably retract and say that was probably not a smart thing to say but you know, he did say it, but now, now that he's won the game and had success in this league, I think it's to kind of calm down on the hate for Baker Mayfield, let him do all the commercials he wants, which are actually, you know, if I have to admit very funny, um, but yeah, Baker Mayfield. Now he's going to go to Kansas city and he's going to go up against Patrick Mahomes. I think this is probably going to be the highest rated game of this divisional round because I think everybody loves themselves some Patrick Mahomes. And I think now that, you know, as you said, Baker Mayfield has this kind of villain persona. And I think the Browns are an intriguing story because, you know, they're never in the playoffs and now they're, you know, one winning away again from, you know, going to the AFC championship game. I think that the only thing that hurts the chiefs in this game is the fact that they did have a week off. I think, I think we both agree that's that's kind of scary for us. If we kind of had it our way, mm-hmm. we would probably just play it out every single week so you don't lose any momentum, you don't lose any rhythm or any timing with your receivers. So I think that can go against Kansas City. But I'm never going to be one to bet against Patrick Mahomes. They've done it before. Last year they had, you know, the bye. And then they went into the division round. They were down 24 nothing to the Texans. They ended up overcoming that and winning. So I think that, the Chiefs have that been there before mentality where to the Browns, everything's still all new, even though they did go and win against Pittsburgh. There's going to be fans in the seats in Kansas City. It's going to be freezing. I think that Mahomes is going to use his championship pedigree to, you know, get through this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be an absolute fight, like a war in the trenches, because I think both of these teams are very hungry and evenly matched. But I do will I will give the edge to Patrick Mahomes until he proves me otherwise. Yeah, I think it's going to be a similar situation to the Bills, where I think you might see a blip in their defense, but offensively, I think the Chiefs they, they just have too too much fire. There's too much, too much uh, veteran presence in Andy Reid. And again, there's just too many guys that you need to you need to cover. So, again, I think the Chiefs are going to come out. They're going to come out hungry. I think they're going to come out fast. And I think they're going to put up probably 35-plus points. Yeah, I agree. If there's one thing that 
the Browns need to do to pull off this upset? What do you think it is? See, I would say it's turn the ball, make Mahomes turn it over, but the Dolphins but he doesn't do that. Turn it over like three or four times, so it, it doesn't. It, but even if he does, it doesn't matter. They score yeah. so quick. I mean, the only thing I could really think of is they need to rush for more than like 160 yards and just try to. I think they the need to dominate the time of possession. I think you're right. As possible. They need to dominate yeah. time of possession. They I, need I, to. I agree with you. Yeah, that, they need to have aggressive. the ball. They need to put the ball in Baker's hands for at least. 35 minutes of the 60 minute game. I think that the less Patrick Mahomes has to say about this, the better for Cleveland, because I think that if you give Patrick Mahomes, you know, the ball late in the game where it's close, whether he needs to score to take the lead or he needs like three or four fourth downs to kind of ice the game, he's going to do it because it's it's almost been automatic, especially this season. You know, we've seen comebacks against the Raiders where he's like he he make, gets the job done in like 20 seconds. It, it, it's ridiculous what he can do and what that offense can do yeah. with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and and uh, Hilaire. It's it, it's it's ridiculous. And, Kel- and obviously, Kelsey, I think that, you know, um, Cleveland needs to just dominate the ball. I need mean, they, they need to dominate time as a possession. I think that's the only chance they have. Yeah, I agree with you 100. You get up into that 35, if not maybe even 40 minutes of possession. That's just so much. And that means you have to. That, that means if you're Cleveland, you have, have to, to run the ball with. effectively. You, you can't rely on you know mm-hmm. Baker getting it to Landry. Yeah, you, you need to you need to run the ball. Yeah better I'm, I'm, i don't know what their leading rusher was against pittsburgh it was it was chubb so chubb 18 for 76 uh, chubb, yeah nick chubb needs yeah, to take over this game as your backup yeah yeah you need you really do uh, yeah, need i'm with you there 100%. nick chubb to dominate this game kind of like a derrick henry-esque takeover of a football game that's what you need yeah. from nick chubb to get over the hump in kansas city so we've kind of talked about each divisional game so i just want to get our picks in, and then we'll go to Deshaun Watson and Doug Peterson. So for the mm-hmm. first game, I have Rams Packers. I think we're in unison that we're going to take the Packers. Um, Ravens Bills. I'll go Bills. You you with that? Yeah, I, I think I would I would go Bills too. I think the Ravens are going to put up a good fight, but I'm still going to lean to the Bills. Okay, uh, Browns Chiefs. I'll take the Chiefs. I, I think I'm going all favorites here, but taking the Chiefs too. And then Bucks Saints. I don't know. I just. Mm. The more I talk about the it, the more the more I talk about it, the less I like the Saints. It's one of those deals. Like I think, yeah. you know, knee jerk reaction. I was like, oh, Saints are going to take this. But now, more than I think about it, I'm leaning more towards the Bucks. But since you took the Bucks and we took mm-hmm. all the same teams so far, I'm going to take the Saints just so we're different. <laughs> so I got Packers, Bills, Chiefs, Saints, and you have Packers, Bills, Chiefs, Bucks. I think that's fair. Yeah. Works with me. So it should be a good week um, of NFL football. And then off the field, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think the two main things are, you know, kind of a little shocking news yesterday with Doug Peterson. Um, We remember the Eagles kind of, it was a huge controversy. The Eagles kind of blew week 17 out of the water just to get, just to get the draft picks. And it ends up Doug Peterson's not even going to see that draft pick because he got fired. Now I read that he got fired because he kind of went in there and said, you guys can't tell me what to do anymore. And then the Eagles are like, all right, then leave. We'll get, we'll get someone who does, but you know, it's weird that, you know, Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl 
and then made the playoffs two more times back to back and then kind of had a really bad year this year, you would think that that Super Bowl would kind of give you leeway in that one bad year. And then obviously there was a power struggle and now Doug Peterson's out. The Eagles, they're they're not an attractive team for head coach to come. They mm-hmm. seem they their roster isn't good. They have a quarterback controversy with an unhappy Wentz who's going to be owed a ton of money. And then this young emerging Jalen Hurts, who has been, you know, up and down as a rookie normally is, especially with turnovers. And then, you know, obviously, as we just saw, there seems to be turmoil with between head coach and owner relationship. And I think I said this, you know, previously, they have no cap. So mm-hmm. what kind of I don't think, you know, you're getting you, I don't think you're getting the top guys if you're Philly. I don't think you're getting the enemy if you're the Eagles. I don't think you're getting an mm-hmm. Urban Meyer if you're the Eagles. I think you're going to have to like take a shot on some coordinator that you might that other people mm-hmm. might not be thinking about because I don't see the attraction of the Philadelphia Eagles from a new head coach perspective. So your initial thoughts on Peterson's firing so soon after a Super Bowl win for an organization that never won before and where they go next as an organization. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it way before he even actually did get fired that he should have gotten fired earlier. I mean, for whatever reason, he seemed to get so much benefit of the doubt just because, oh, he had that Super Bowl win, but it really seemed to be that that was it. I mean, Carson Wentz mightily struggled this year. Like It was so bad. And obviously, we're going to say that probably falls on the, the coach, maybe his scheme and the development because he still has the guys around him. So that was really bad to see. Obviously, Hertz kind of came in. He, he did well. That was nice. I, I thought Hertz putting Hertz in was going to buy Peterson some more time. But like you said, I think that week 17 was just the the straw that broke the, the kind of the camel's back there because it, it made no sense what mm-hmm. Doug Peterson was doing. And then he almost was kind of arrogant in his uh, in his press conference afterwards. And like you said, there's definitely a power struggle there. So the Eagles ownership was like, screw it. Like you, you good riddance. We'll get rid of you. And I think it's going to benefit probably both parties, but I think definitely it's going to benefit the Eagles more. Now, as far as the head coaching attraction, they're going to need to shore up the Wentz situation. They're going to need to shore up the cap situation too. But something that would be very cool to see would be Jalen Hurts' former coach, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, maybe coming in and implementing his college-style offense with Hurts at the reins of his offense and his system. That would be cool. But something that people need to realize is that these top D1 colleges are probably as prestigious as NFL jobs, especially lower NFL jobs. I mean – you look at just their salaries, they're still getting upwards of eight to $12 million to coach college and you're coaching kids. So you don't have to deal with the divas in the NFL. You don't have to deal with really the the pressures as much, but you so do have to recruit. So that kind of evens it out. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think the, the kind of the dynamic of being a lower tiered NFL team versus being kind of the king of the world in a sense of being the head coach of a, d1 top d1 college football team i really think that prestige kind of is going to keep a lot of the college coaches in the ncaa i mean you're seeing with harbaugh he just signed a five-year extension saban's never leaving the uh the uh college he came to the nfl for a brief stint and i know usually you think all right well the nfl is the promised land that's the end goal maybe it isn't anymore yeah i I agree 100 percent because i just think that if you're a college football coach, I think more importantly than not dealing with divas on the field, you're not de- dealing with kind of divas 
in the suite above you with the ownership. If you're a college mm-hmm. football coach, Nick Saban is quote unquote the owner of Alabama football and he is the head coach as well. So he has all of the control. Not every organization is going to be like, you know, Robert Kraft where like he gives Belichick all power to make his decisions. That doesn't happen in the NFL and I think for a college coach or any football coach, I think it's more appealing to have full autonomy of the decisions made with your organization. So I think you're absolutely right that sometimes maybe the college job is more appealing to, you know, a pure football coach than an NFL job because if you're an NFL head coach, that's a business. Um, I'm not saying that college football isn't a business because it is also a billion dollar industry, but you know, the NFL, there's so many more bells and whistles that are not football that you have to deal with as the head coach. You know, not only, you know, is it probably a lot more media being the Giants coach than the, you know, Oklahoma coach, but you also got to deal yeah. with, you know, season ticket holders. You got you got to deal with, you know, advertisements. You got to do commercial. You got to do all these kind of things. Yeah, you got to do all these kind of things. You got to do free agency. You got to do, you know, trades. You got to do um, salary cap. You got to do payroll. All these things in mm-hmm. college. It's just it, it really it's just like recruiting and then asking people asking rich alums for money, which they normally ninety nine yeah. out of hundred times probably give you anyway. Um, so I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right that, you know, a college job is more appealing than an NFL job. Do you think in going back to Peterson, do you think that that week 17 fiasco when he put in Sudfeld and then defended it to the press the after the game the next day? Do you think he was putting on some sort of a lie for ownership because they wanted the draft pick and then he just couldn't like take it anymore because he was just so like disgusted that he had to like put on a face that he didn't believe in so he walked into ownership he's like i'm not going to be your puppet anymore i want more control and then that's what happened do you think that's a possibility for philadelphia that would happen in philadelphia yeah because peterson's like i'm sorry to interrupt you peterson's a smart guy he won a super bowl he knows that sudfeld did not give him a chance to win that game even though he said in Mm -hmm. the press conference that it did so some any coach that's worth like his salt is not going to be happy that he was forced in that position. I think if I'm speculating for a second that he couldn't he was really upset that he was put in that position and that's what prompted him to approach ownership and you know demand a more hands-off approach by them and then they said no because we'll get someone who will do what we want. So see ya. Mhm. You know, I think that that kind of going down that route of thinking makes the most sense. Like you said, Peterson isn't a dumb guy. He may be a little arrogant and he seemed like he was the scapegoat and he's obviously getting all the, the crap from the fan base and in and from the media. So he was probably like, listen, like, like you're not going to ruin my legacy by telling me to do like certain things. And you're not going to tell the coach how to coach his team. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with kind of the backlash and then we'll see if the front office is going to like try to cover it up and stuff like that. Yeah. I it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Philadelphia because they have so many problems. I don't know what head coach is going to be, is going to want to, is going to want to be there. As I noticed that you're just done with the headset, you're done with the headphones right now. Say again. Can you hear me? Cause you took your headphones off. Yeah. I heard. You. Okay, okay, okay. We're so we're, we're chilling. For for Peterson's future, we're gonna one more thing on Peterson before we get into the Deshaun Watson thing because I really want to talk about that. 
Where do you do you think he jumps as jumps in as a head coach right away? Do you think he takes a year off? Maybe he gets a coordinator job because, you know, obviously there's, you know, plenty of interesting head coaching destinations. You got Jacksonville, you got the Jets, you got, you know, uh, I think Houston, Houston still. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. What do you think is next for Peterson in his career? I think you hit the nail on the head before and said he's too smart of a guy to not kind of be uh, or too smart of a guy to act in, in the way that it, it kind of unfolded with the Eagles. So I think he's definitely going to be a top candidate for a head coaching job somewhere. And I know we both kind of saw the rumors about how he might go join Joe Douglas again in New York. So I think that would be an intriguing spot for him. I mean, kind of get out of the NFC altogether and then get a new uh, younger quarterback if he wants it or kind of stick with Darnold. I think that would be something interesting. I think that would be very beneficial to him. He obviously has that good relationship with what would be his, uh, his boss basically in Joe Douglas. Um, moving on last segment, you know, Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't know how Houston fixes this relationship. Basically the story is that after Bill O'Brien left, he wanted to be consulted in terms of who the next GM and who the next head coach would be. And then Houston said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll help you out. You're our 25 year old, you know, superstar face of the franchise quarterback. Of course, you're going to be involved in the decision-making for the next GM and head coach. And then Houston was like, "Never mind. we're just going to hire people and you're going to have to deal with it. And Deshaun Watson is rightfully upset. So if Deshaun Watson demands a trade, out of Houston, which he might do because, you know, Houston seems to be an organization that, you know, they get rid of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, they don't really seem keen on putting people around Deshaun Watson to elevate him in his career. The, I think every single team, if your quarterback isn't named Allen, Mahomes, Mayfield, Rodgers, I think if, or Jackson, if your quarterback isn't named that, I think you have to be calling Houston and seeing what they'd be willing to give you or what you're willing to give them for Deshaun Watson. I think he's that good. I think if you're the Dolphins, we can get into this because I think we can go back and forth. I think that Mm -hmm. if the price isn't exorbitant, I think you would absolutely, you know, say thanks, but no thanks to Tua as much as we all love him and get this sure Mm -hmm. thing in Watson. I think if you're the Jets, I think if you can package Darnold, that three pick, a second, um, even another first if they ask for it, I think you you hit on that. Because, you know, not every day Deshaun Watson is a Deshaun Watson-type guy who is young, who is inexpensive, or not, I'm sorry, not inexpensive, but, you know, is a sure thing, a surefire all-star player is available yeah. via trade. I think anyone who needs a quarterback should be in. Yeah, or yeah. even if you're not sure the on that quarterback, right I think I think the Giants as well. Even mm-hmm. if you're not sure, if you have a quarterback and you're not, you know, a thousand percent sure on that quarterback, I think you have to be in. So that goes Giants, that goes for the Dolphins, that goes for the Jets, that goes for the Bears, that goes for even the Cowboys. Even if the Cowboys, mm-hmm. you know, want to reset and, you know, maybe Dak isn't going to be the guy that's going to bring them to their first Super Bowl in 25 years. Even the Cowboys or Eagles or anyone could be a team that can get Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like you said, it's it's no disrespect to who the quarterback is on whatever team, like like whether it be Tua or Daniel Jones or Darnold or even Jalen Hurts or like you said, pretty much anyone not named 
uh, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, uh, and like and Justin Herbert. It's like literally every other team should be in on this if it's true. Now, I I still think it's a little bit of a power struggle there. I think Watson is kind of trying to make his point known that his opinion should be valued when getting the head coach. I mean, there was already kind of rumors about how he was upset that the Texans didn't even uh, interview the enemy. I'm very curious to see if that changes in the upcoming weeks. I feel like it will. And um, I just, I, I don't see why Houston would trade him. And I know they're in a very weird situation where they're just not very good. But mm-hmm. you have, again, Deshaun Watson, who I think is probably the top three, top four quarterback in the NFL. So it's such a weird situation because as a fan of not the Texans and a fan of the Dolphins who are rumored to be in on Watson, it's like, all right, do you get him? And then on the surface, you say, yeah, of course, he's an upgrade over just about every quarterback in the NFL. Now it's the what is it going to take to get him? And that's what kind of gets me a little nervous because – we've kind of preached all along about sustained success. My biggest fear is you trade Tua, you trade a first, maybe another first, and then maybe even a second rounder for the, for him. And then you're left with the same amount of holes that you had on offense before you traded for Watson. And you're left with less cap space to get him some help. And my biggest fear is basically you turn into the Texans where the only way to kind of now make your offense better is having to subtract from your defense and then vice versa. So it's like you're kind of rushing the process a little bit. And I think the biggest bargain in the NFL is having a QB on a rookie deal. I mean, you look at the AFC. Mahomes right now, his his big money didn't kick in yet. Josh Allen it didn't get an extension yet. Lamar Jackson didn't get an extension yet. Baker Mayfield didn't get an extension yet. So you, you really kind of look at it from that aspect that I think to compete with, especially these AFC teams, you need uh, quarterbacks who are going to be on the rookie deal for right now. And again, not even looking at just what I think Tua could be. It's you guys, I feel like if you're the front office, you drafted him and all these teams in the NFL. Like if you still have a quarterback who is only been with your team for say one to two years, you drafted them assuming they have some skill. So if you trust basically your own judgment, and and the price is kind of too egregious, like we were saying before, then you don't make that deal. As much as he's a great player and might benefit your team offensively, it just I just see way too much collateral damage potentially that could ensue. And then like like we I said before, it's about sustained success. I don't want to just see a team go for it. And then what happened? Then you, you end up losing to the to the Bills in round one, or you don't even win the division, say if you're the Dolphins, then it was all for naught. And now you kind of set back your team another five years when you just wasted a whole year in 2019 to kind of accumulate these draft picks. And I think just with the Dolphins specifically, their best asset right now is that they have so much flexibility with their cap space and then with their draft capital. So I think they need to use that to their advantage and just kind of build around the player that they drafted, that they saw a lot of talent and a lot of potential in. I think the best fit for trade between Houston and other teams is going to be a team that has, you know, a top pick in the draft, but also mm-hmm. a team that the teams that are going to acquire Deshaun Watson also has the cap space to not be hampered by having Watson. And if you take those two equations into account, the best team set set up to acquire Deshaun Watson, if he demands out of there, is the Jets. 
because the Jets yeah. have the third pick in the draft. I'm um, sorry, second pick in the draft. They are going. They 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 were probably going to take a quarterback anyway if they got the first pick in the draft. If they got Lawrence, they still might take Fields. We'll we'll see because obviously the the championship game showed how great you know the wide receivers available could be. But if you package the third pick, Darnold, and whatever else Texans want, like two more picks, maybe a second, and then next year's first, and then you bring in Deshaun Watson, you still have a ton of cap space to fill in those offensive holes around Deshaun Watson. And you can really quickly, you know, turn your organization around because, you know, as great as we think Justin Fields might be, he's still a college quarterback and we don't know what he will be in the NFL. We know what Deshaun Watson is in the NFL. And I think that's the big difference. And I think that's what makes it so appealing to require him. If you're 25 of the 32 teams, I'm looking at the standings now, um, the Patriots and Jets would take Watson in the second. The Dolphins probably would too. The Bills won't. If you're the AFC North, other than Jackson, Jackson Bayfield, they probably stay. If you're the Bengals, you might, with considering Burrow's, you know, health, yeah. you might just say, you know what, is what it is. Pittsburgh definitely would because we think Big, Big Ben's out the window. Titans in the AFC South, they get rid of Tannehill for Watson. Same with the Colts. Um, obviously, the Texans are in the division, and then Jacksonville is not going to do it because they're just going to take Lawrence. The Raiders would absolutely have him. The Chargers would absolutely have him. The Broncos would absolutely have him. The NFC East, all of them would have him. In the North, the Bears would, the Vikings would, the Lions would, the NFC South, the entire NFC South would have him. The NFC West, um, the Rams, Cardinals, maybe. I don't know if the Cardinals would do it, but the 49ers certainly will. I think that when you have an opportunity, if you're the Texans, and I just rattle off 20-plus teams that would be desperate to take your quarterback. I think that price drives so far up that it might be too overwhelming for the Houston to say no. The only issue that I see, and I, I agree, the only issue is that Watson has a no-trade clause, so he would pay, basically dictate That's where true. he would go. And I, That's I think a good point. That, that, is the, that is the scary part about these negotiations for the Texans is because – they understand they're not going to get the deal they want because if you have a quarterback who's basically saying, I'm not going to play if, if you keep me and if you kind of hire a coach that I don't want, then that's already strike one right there. And you're like, damn, so we kind of need to get rid of this guy. Then no team, like say if Deshaun Watson comes out and says, I'm only interested in this specific team, that team isn't going to offer a lot for him because they know there's no one else bidding against them. Yeah. So you're already kind of taking out that bidding war aspect of what could drive the price up. So I think the Texans are in a very weird situation that it would benefit them the most to try to mend this relationship instead of try to ship them off and try to kind of get some uh, draft capital to compensate for their losses. It's definitely an NBA kind of vibe. We see these trades in the NBA a lot. Like we see Harden. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to get traded, but I only want to get traded to the Nets, like kind of like that kind of thing. Um, I think that, you know, but at the end of the day, this is Houston's fault because they told their quarterback they would do something and they went back on their word and they did the opposite. So they, nobody should feel Mm -hmm. bad for Houston. Um, no, but I think that could be a seismic change in the NFL. If Watson gets moved to an organization that might be a little close, like I'm looking now, I mentioned the 49ers, if they want to move off Garoppolo, they're still a team that went to the Super Bowl last year and they still have, they're still a Mm -hmm. team that has some talent. If you put Watson on San Francisco, all of a sudden they're back up into 
Super Bowl contention. If you put him on the Jets, the Jets still need to build around him, and it might take another year. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I think that that's definitely something we need to look at as we go into this offseason once the playoffs end. Real quick before we go, in terms of Watson, what is the trade you'd be comfortable with as a Dolphins fan to acquire him? So I think the the most I'd be comfortable with would obviously again obviously two is gone. You're assuming that, then you're assuming that the the third pick is gone too. Like I'd only be willing to maybe you give up. Uh, like again, it's like when I when I try to think about giving up another first rounder, it's like I don't know. I think only one more first rounder after that. I wouldn't give yeah. up the three in total because again, you're, you're two you draft in the first round, so you're basically saying that is. And I'm not willing to give up any twos or threes or fours or fives or whatever, just because it's just it's that that to me is just too many. You're trading four potential first rounders basically for one guy. And I know yeah. he's one of the best players in the NFL, but at some point you have to say, yeah, this isn't worth it, even though he is super good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm similar with the Giants. I'd give up the 11. I'd give up Jones. Maybe I'd give up a second either this year or next year's second. I wouldn't give up two firsts and Daniel Jones. I think that would be redundant, and I think that would because the Giants don't have the cap space that the Jets would have. So I think that yeah, would probably you'd have Deshaun Watson, and then you'd also have no receiving core. So I think that's kind of the the yeah, um, balance that I think I think that's the balance that these teams have to consider when trying to acquire Deshaun Watson. Um, speaking of receiving core, teams that will be upgrading their receiving core will probably be getting Devonte Jones, Devonte Smith, uh, Waddle, mm-hmm. Jamar Chase, all these guys. National championship was yesterday. What did we learn yesterday from the top prospects in that game? I mean, Devontae Smith absolutely just balled out. I mean, it was just an absolute, it was a joke. I mean, Alabama just outclassed and out-talented and out-coached and just outplayed Ohio State in every asset of the game. It, it was just crazy to see what they were able to do. And even it was crazy to see what Devontae Smith was able to do and again, it wasn't like he was facing some random Appalachian State. He was facing Ohio State, who is, again, a very, very good coach team. They're going to have a lot of NFL draft picks in there. And he was going up a guy, Sean Wade, who is a pretty high-praised cornerback prospect that's going to be going to the draft as well. And he handled him so consistently, and it was just it was too easy for him. And also, credit needs to be given to Steve Sarkeesian, too, who's taken his talents to the Longhorns. And he, he just put his playmakers in positions to win. I mean, you saw a situation where they had a middle linebacker covering Devontae Smith. No chance, just absolutely no chance. So credit to him and just credit to kind of the success that Alabama is having. And then to Smith as well. I mean, his draft stock couldn't be any higher. Yeah. I think he's really, I think he might be too high in terms of the dolphins, because I think the jets, if they're looking at what Smith does and maybe they, you know, want to give Sam Darnold that one shot, with that mm-hmm. top flight receiver. I think if Smith didn't have that great of game that he did yesterday, I think they're taking fields. And now with that happening yesterday, I think Smith, I guess, over overlaps fields in terms of who the Jets might want first. So I think that's something, I mean, the Dolphins will be fine because, you know, even if they don't get Smith, there's still like two other receivers at three that are yeah. going to be, you know, all like superstar receivers. But 
it really makes the Jets specifically more of an interesting team to look at in terms of draft because do they go with Fields or do they run it back with Darnold and then give him this like the best weapon you can possibly give him out of the draft? So it's going to be interesting to see what the Jets do. Um, the Giants at 11, I'm not sure any of these receivers are going to be there at 11. They might because we'll see what happens with the quarterbacks, how many quarterbacks are taken in the top 10. But if you look at the teams that need receivers that are ahead of the Giants, like the Lions or the Eagles, the Cowboys are ahead of them. I don't think they'll take a receiver. Um, the Jets, obviously, the Dolphins. like the, we, the Giants could see themselves at 11 with no receiver to take. And they might need to take Pitts, the tight end, which, you know, he's a great player and all, but that kind of just... You, you then you'd have to admit that Evan Ingram was a mistake, and then now you're resetting a tight end instead of having the tight end and then adding to the re- and then adding receiver. So um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with the Giants. Yeah, there's there's a lot of teams that are kind of again, even with the the Dolphins at three, we're kind of waiting to see what other teams are doing in front of them, and it's such a weird thing because there's only two teams, and one of them is already going to be taking Trevor Lawrence. So a lot of it is going to ride kind of on seeing what the Jets do because then. The Jets don't draft a quarterback. That kind of just frees up more quarterbacks to potentially be taken, say, before the Giants pick. So I, I still think one of the three is going to fall to them. And I, again, I think uh, as fans, we fall into the like. Right, obviously, the offensive pieces are flashier when when talking about them in the media and watching their highlights. But sometimes those cornerbacks and those linebackers and those linemen, whether it be offensive or defensive are just as if not more valuable to a team so it wouldn't again it doesn't shock me when teams draft those kind of guys with those first and early picks yeah that's i'm fine with teams drafting defense first round but the problem is the giants offense is so bad that they need to pick someone offensively they've picked offense the last four years in the draft and they still have the 31st ranked offense so you just i guess you got to keep running it in the first round until you like hit on somebody on the offense and then you at least get a top 15 offense i mean i'm not even asking for a lot so Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting draft is at the end of april and into may so we still got a little bit away from that we still got the combine we still got all these Mm -hmm. things so like all the mock drafts you see now you can basically throw them out by the time you get to april and may because you have no idea so we'll be paying attention to that we'll be paying attention to the divisional round matchups this weekend do we have any final thoughts before i wrap this thing up matt no i just i I just i can't wait to see the dynamic of just the older versus the younger in the afc Mm -hmm. nfc quarterbacks i think that's just going to be the story that the nfl is going to be running with for the rest of this postseason yeah, absolutely. Um, Rams, Packers, Ravens, Bills, Browns, Chiefs, Bucks, Saints. Those are the divisional games. We will watch all of them and we will cover all of them on next week's edition of Ice the Kicker. For Matt Ferrara, my name is Glenn DeNegers. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the games and we will see you next. What day is it? Today's Wednesday. We'll see you next Wednesday.